0: Video game addiction. Google it and you'll get 95 million results. Now as parents of boys, video games are on all of our minds, but is addiction a thing? Find out when we talk to our guest at On Boys. But first, these messages. I like
1: cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website. You get to take a little quick style quiz. Takes five minutes. And then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out. And get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute. Put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit onboys. That's armoir.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash on boys to get 50% off your first month
0: and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today jen and i know that life is super busy for all of our listeners and so we have connected with cozy cozy is an app that is going to allow you to sync up your schedules for the entire family so imagine everybody's soccer practice and music lessons and movie night is all in the same app so everyone can keep track of everyone's schedules Plus, Cozy also knows that meal planning can be a super stressful part of your week. So they have included within the app recipes and grocery lists for what you need. So you could stand in the middle of the grocery store, as I've done many times, and think, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Open the Cozy app and there are suggestions and lists for you right there plus your kids can add what they need for their lunches all of those things can be inside the cozy app so check it out you can download it for free cozy c-o-z-i i wonder if you have subscribed to jennifer's building boys bulletin yet You know it is the email that i open every monday morning because i know that she has curated the latest information about boys in the news the latest studies about boys and it's all in one place so i can get smart really fast because of the work that she is doing behind the scenes building boys bulletin comes to you every week it's a wealth of information go to buildingboys.net and click on the red subscription button also have you visited my website this is janet boysalive.com you can opt in there for my free report on boys and big emotions common mistakes we make as parents, and what to do instead. That's a free guide. Just go to boysalive.com. And now, let's hear more about video games and video game addiction from our guest expert. Thanks for joining us for On Boys.
1: This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. Video game addiction. When I Google that term, I get 95 million results. And the first one is for an addiction treatment center. You all know that I am a mom of boys, so you might wonder why I even need to bother to Google that term. I mean, the symptoms of video game addiction seem pretty obvious. The kid who wants to do nothing but play video games, this obsessive desire to the exclusion of all else. And all of you also know that there are few topics that cause as much conflict between parents and children as, what is it, Janet? Video games. Video games. But I want to really dig in today. What I want to know is if video game addiction is really a thing, if that is a helpful way to think about uh, obsessive desire to play video games, and more importantly, uh, what we can and should do if we feel like our kids' gaming is out of control. Joining us today is Chris Ferguson. He is a professor of psychology at Stetson University and co-author of a book that I read some years ago that I still think about very often. The book is Moral Combat, Why the War on Violent Video Games is Wrong, and he is the father of a 17-year-old boy. This is our people. Welcome, Chris.
2: Well, thanks for having me on today. It's a real pleasure.
1: All right, let's just dig right in
2: is video game addiction a thing? Yeah, that's a big question. (laughs)
1: Um,
2: Well, I mean, first off, most of us don't like to use the word addiction because that sort of creates this comparison with substance abuse that really isn't accurate, you know, so there is a a thing. Um, So most of us usually use terms like pathological gaming or problematic gaming or something of that sort. So that kind of divorces us from the sort of idea that like, because you see these headlines like video games are like heroin, right? You know, and that's not, that's not true. (laughs) That's absolutely false. Uh, that's, that's clear moral panic, uh, as, as, uh, we call it, you know? So Kai would say like if that were true then like the heroin addicts are doing addiction wrong you know because games are way cheaper than, than heroin is so uh, if you get your if you get the same effect for your like Call of Duty then you ought to just you know we ought to be giving people with opiate addictions like video games in order to transition them off so obviously it's a very different uh, set of phenomenon um, and we all kind, I think we kind of know this but yeah, but those headlines but you know, you know
1: what wait I'm gonna back you back you up yeah. a little bit when you say we kind of know this. We in psychology research may kind of know this. I'm not really sure that a lot of parents, uh, you know, have really thought beyond this is driving me crazy. And you see a headline about video game addiction. And I know parents who are worried that video games has the same pull and draw as as drugs. I, I think
2: the message is popular with parents, but I think parents, I, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I'm being optimistic here a little bit. I think most parents sort of still know it's not really true. We don't let our kids like hang out and say, well, I just wish my kid would cut down on heroin so that they could balance their heroin with their school use, you know, or something. Now, of that's that
1: sort. true. That's you true.
2: Know? So I think, we, you know, the message is popular because people want to demonize something they don't like. But mm-hmm. if you really think a little bit more carefully, it's not like, well, I just wish my kid would use heroin on the weekends and not the, or during the week or, uh, or that sort of stuff. We, we, we know that there, there's a clear difference between these things, uh, even if we don't want to admit it. That's uh, true. Um, like in most <laughs> cases,
1: we don't buy our kids a syringe. Yeah, and they will recreationally use heroin. Right. Like we do buy our kids gaming systems because we do see there's some value in it. There's some fun right. in it. There's some yeah. there's some harmlessness in it or we wouldn't do it at all.
2: Right. Yeah, it's not like you know. I really wish my kid wouldn't use heroin, but okay, I'll get them some heroin for Christmas uh, because it's the holidays or something of that. Right. sort. You know? So, <laughs> so there's clear, there's clearly some sort of difference there, and you know. But on the other hand, we would recognize that you know there are people, both adults and kids, who do overdo it with technology, and not just games, but you with know, a lot of attention on smartphones and other screens right now as well. Um, but then it becomes this kind of question of, well, is is it really the technology that's the problem? You Know, or is it something else that is is going around? Because we know people overdo a lot of things, you know. So people, some people overdo shopping, some people overdo sex, some people overdo food, uh, some people overdo work. Uh, exercise over, can be uh, exercise, overdone. Exercise, yeah. I mean, you know, some people overdo cats. You can Google cat hoarder, and you'll see people who've been arrested because of the number of poorly cared for cats they have in there, and they keep doing it. So yes, that's clearly an addiction too. Um, you know, to use that colloquial term once again, uh um, but uh but most of these things aren't diagnosable or, or at least you know there's no like cat addiction and like the, the dsm or the who's you know compendium of diseases and stuff so the question becomes why are we so interested in video games and other forms of technology and why don't we care that much about the work addicts and the exercise addicts and and, and these other individuals and is it really the technology that is the sort of culprit uh which is what a lot of people want to believe so when people are like are like yes it's like heroin that's what, what people are really saying is they want to think that it's the video games as the culprit, that is really sort of the originating cause of the problems that the uh, individual, again, we tend to focus on kids. So in this case, the kids uh, are experiencing, when in fact, it may be more of a symptom, you know, so I think that, again, there's not really disagreement that they're, are some individuals who overdo technology. But the, uh, one of the big questions we have in the field, and there's disagreement, you know, so not all scholars agree on this, is whether the technology is sort of the root or at least one root cause of these problems. I think most people would, would agree that it's sort of complicated, it's not the only cause, but is mm-hmm. it one root cause of, of the problem or is it merely a symptom of other problems that are going on? So in other words, do you have a depressed child who is turning to video games as a kind of self-medicating you know sort of thing we might say well maybe that's not the best way of dealing with the depression that may be true but really the problem is the depression that's what originated and then you know taking the games away wouldn't actually fix the the depression in fact you may be taking away a coping mechanism from the kid mm. that they are using in order to you know try to alleviate uh, their negative moods so there may be some you know danger a little bit in addressing the problem in, 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 in the wrong way. So I think most people would not say, like if your kid is experiencing their grades slipping or isn't sleeping or something of that sort because they're on technology continuously, yeah, that's a problem, but you may also need to be aware that that's probably a part of a larger constellation of problems that that child Uh, is experiencing. And the worst message for parents is that, that, that constellation may include you,
1: (laughs) that parents
2: may be part of the problem (laughs) in a lot of these uh, situations, Um, which is why people like the, the heroin headlines is is it also tends to absolve parents or other social structures entirely uh, from any kind of originating, you know, element of the problem that the child may be experiencing.
1: It's a lot easier to think, let's get rid of the games, let's get rid of the PlayStation, no Xbox, I'm taking your phone away at this time, and all will be well.
2: It'll be a miracle. (laughs) My child will go back to how they were when they were four. Uh, Obedient uh, and respectful. I don't know any any four-year-olds actually. I'm
0: like, (laughs) I did not have a (laughs) four-year-old that way, but maybe you did. (laughs) So I really appreciate that you're bringing this around to what are the other factors going on in a yeah. boy's development. And there's also in a boy's development, there are times when they are at, and also a boy's temperament. You know, he might be more outward, outgoing and active and out there. And then he might not be. And there's also a stage of development around age 13, 12, 13, when boys get really heavy and they're just like, and they don't want to be doing and they don't want to be engaged with family and they're much more social with friends if they're social at all, because some boys are not. And so I appreciate what you're saying of like video games can be the refuge for these boys that are struggling with their changing bodies and their changing social strata and that that is a place that they can find comfort. And we think, oh, well, they're being social with their friends. But what we ultimately know is we do need to get them out of their bedrooms. And we do need to get them out of the house. And then, you know, I'll just throw in here, we've had a pandemic. So that's changed everything as well. I think it's good to just kind of realign of what's, what is normal development, and normal social development, and then how video games enter in and become a crutch. Also entertainment as well.
2: What well, could be a challenge? I mean, you know, and of course I'm, I'm the uh, parent of a teenage son myself. So, you know, th- that's a common experience for parents is that you have 12 years yeah. of one child and then suddenly you end up with a different child.
0: You know, exactly. people have been
2: complaining about this for eons, fact, certain, you know, sets of behavior. And all of a sudden that changes. That's a fairly normative, developmental process, they become more rebellious, they no longer see you as particularly intelligent, and maybe outright irritated and rude towards you. They oftentimes don't perceive it as very fun either, you know, so in fairness, so they they may find that contact to be fairly aversive as well. But, but it's tempting to kind of think like, well, what the hell happened to my kid? You know, they were this like, nice little 11 year old, you know, uh, who would do what I say most often, eventually, you know, and now like they're, It doesn't matter what I do, I have no power anymore. You know, uh, who's to blame? And that's where the video games come in. It
1: it can be a problem of attribution, really, is is kind of what I hear you saying, because often our boys' interest in video games kind of ramps up around that age. You know, Mm -hmm. for one, they've got the hand-eye coordination, their friends are doing it. And so video game play becomes uh, more intense and more common around 11, 12, 13 than, say, Mm -hmm. at four, as we mentioned. So it's easy to attribute those changes. Well, he's rude. He never talked to me like this before. Some of it is, is development that may have happened anyway. And Janet referring to your earlier point about the pandemic. I, I worry a little bit about that too. I see people referencing these changes that have happened in their kids and blaming it on the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And certainly the pandemic hasn't helped so many things. We all know that, but your kids were going to grow anyway. Your yeah. kids were going to go through tough times anyway, mm-hmm. and so some of it's age, some of it's growing, and sure, some of it's pandemic, and maybe some is technology.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a complicated a mixture. So one of the things that's sort of interesting, in one of the studies we had done, and this is where I say, like, you know, it's, parents kind of want to shift the blame as much as possible, and I'm not trying to like blame parents for like everything either, but uh, but in one of the studies we did with Korean kids, uh, so this is in a Korean context. In fairness. What we found is we were looking at sort of like what caused kids to eventually develop these kind of like pathological patterns in terms of their gaming. One of the things we found was it wasn't so much time spent gaming. So it's not like if you spent a lot of time gaming at one time period that later you developed into, you know, pathological patterns or behavior. There's a little bit of a correlation there, but it wasn't very big. Smaller than most people, would. but really the big predictors was like parenting style and also interactions with with the the educational system. Um, and what tended to happen is you had again, it's a very Korean context, South Korea, um, and you had kids who were stressed because their parents were putting a lot of stress on them and their academic institutions were putting a lot of stress on them, and they dealt with that stress by turning more and more to video games that's the kind of the, the thing we see a lot is that it's oftentimes a sort of larger constellation of social stress that is leading to people for these boys, you know, to to move into more and more gaming uh, related behaviors. But that's a tough message to get <laughs> across to parents. It's like, yeah, sometimes it it actually is you're, you're, you're not interacting with your kid very well, you know, and that may be causing the stress that's leading them to retreat further and further into a video game universe rather than interacting with the family. Also, I, th- I hear that from parents a lot. It's like, you know, I used to spend a lot of time with my kid. Now my kid doesn't want to spend any time with me anymore or they want to play video games all the time. Why is that? You know, and the answer is kind of like, well, you might be an asshole <laughs> to some extent, you know what I <laughs> mean? You know, it might be you. I mean, no, I'm exaggerating that a little bit, you know, parents, of course, range in terms of their quality, but how you're interacting with your kid, even if it's in good faith, I should, I should, you know, say, say what I said, but even if it is in good faith, Um, may not be what they need, you know, right. Yeah. And you may be sort of forcing what you think they should do onto them. And that is causing them stress right at the developmental period where they are trying to pull away, you know, and establish more autonomy, which is kind of a, a challenge for adolescents and particularly for boys.
0: And it's back to what you said about you're you're parenting a different child in mm-hmm. in this next stage of development. And we I work with families all the time with parents in my coaching practice. And and there is that place of like, okay, now you need to shift into being more collaborative, being less authoritative and top-down kind of parentings. It is a shift and parents don't know about it. There's not a manual actually there is a manual cuz Jen just wrote the book. I'm going to just put a plug in here for her book, <laughs> The First-Time Mom's Guide to Raising Boys and that yes. is the that's the the reference point of how to shift and parent these tweens and teens that are different altogether. Yeah.
1: So the biggest takeaway I'm hearing so far, you know, ultimately as a parent in the end I don't care if we call it video game addiction. I don't care if we call it pathological gaming. I just want my kid to get up, do the things he's supposed to do, put in at least decent effort at school and be a decent person. And my perception is gaming is the problem, but based on what I've heard you say so far, probably the worst thing that parents can do is to start like, hammering on the gaming and the game time because even if the parent is only or maybe a part of this uh me yelling at my kid and blaming the game and why do you just want to play games all the time that's probably not going to help is it
2: no it's it's, it's definitely not there's this weird thing that happens to you i think most adults is like there's, a, there's like a part of our brains that remember what it's like to be a teenager that seems to die like around age 25 <laughs> or something of that sort. But when we have kids, we forget what it's like to be, you know, at very least a teenager in particular. So, I mean, I get these comments, like my, one of my favorite comments I ever got from a father. Um, and just don't even think like, well, fathers ought to know boys because they were boys, you know, whatever. It's like, you kind of say, well, maybe moms don't understand the appeal of like violent video games because they were never attracted that sort of stuff.
0: I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son,
1: Tyler, had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing, and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a fight.
0: And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore. At Dabble and Dollop.
1: Go to DabbleandDollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's DabbleandDollop.com slash onboys. 20% off for being an onboys listener.
2: But but fathers, I don't know, because they watch war movies and, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. You know, cops and robbers or whatever. Um, And, uh, but no, one of my favorite comments was from a father, and he said something like, why won't my kid spend as much of time or attention on his homework as he does on his video games? I was like, do you remember being a teen? Did you spend a lot of time on your homework? <laughs> Did you enjoy? When in history were teenagers ever like what you're describing? I, I get a lot of the stuff about like looking at trees too. I want my kid to be outside looking at, t- I don't know when teenagers ever looked at trees. I don't think this is ever a thing. Uh, but there's this kind of like this utopian ideal of what teenagers should do that no no generation of teenagers has ever done, you know. So I don't I don't think there's anything like unique about like this video game generation in terms of like not liking homework and not wanting to do it or not wanting to do chores or being rebellious towards their parents. If you look at like Plato's dialogues, he's complaining, or at least he's has these ancient Athenians complaining about the same stuff 2,500 years ago. <laughs> you know? uh, so this seems to be a fairly consistent. Um, sort of phenomena. You can put limits on time. It's easy if you'd been doing that all along since they were like, so if you try to introduce it when they're older, they'll see it as a regression, you know, as opposed to sure. a consistent pattern, which would be harder, um, you know, to, to do. But usually what you want to do is kind of like, we say in psychology, reward low base rate behavior with high base rate behavior, right? Which basically say, make them do the homework first and then reward them with screen time, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, rather than trying to do it the other way around or letting it be freeform. You know, if you, if you kind of have the rules around, like you have to do an hour of homework and then you get like two hours of screen time, whatever you want, and, and keep going back and forth, that's fine to sort of put those things in place. If you start indulging moral panics though, about like, this is like heroin, you know, or violent video games will make you a school shooter or something like that. You're going to look, you're going to sound ridiculous. Uh, you will lose credibility, you know, with those teenagers. And the things you have to try to remember is like, go think, try to remember when you were a teenager and you liked some form of media or technology and your parents said stuff about that. Like if you keep listening to Prince, you're becoming a Satanist or something like that. And remember how ridiculous that sounded when your parents said stuff like that. And I picked on Prince specifically because in these congressional hearings in the eighties, he was one of the artists that, you know, the U S Congress thought, you know, him, Cindy Lauber, ACDC, all these like eighties bands, uh, Thought were corrupting youth, you know. Back then, nobody thinks Prince or Cindy Lauper contributing to like Satanism or violence or teen sex or things like that. You know, uh, today. So back then, that's because that's when I was a teenager. I remember adults, you know, saying this stuff. They sound like idiots because they like, were idiots. You know. You know and- what?
1: I, I was preparing for this yesterday, and I was driving, and it was uh, the nighttime show on the radio, and Alice Cooper hosts a classic yeah. rock show. Mm -hmm. and anybody who you know grew up in the 70s or 80s you may know Alice Cooper as like he scared me when I was a kid like he was he was freaky and like death and guillotines and bloody babies and like not the kind of thing that most parents would say I am so glad that my child is listening to Alice Cooper not that kind of thing at all (laughs) but he was reading a letter from a listener who said hey your album a nightmare or something. I'm not a huge Alice Cooper fan. Uh,
2: probably Welcome to My Nightmare. I'm thinking. Welcome
1: to My Nightmare, that yeah. was it. I was in a terrible situation. I was a teenager, my mother was so abusive. I was literally planning to murder her. Mm-hmm. I was planning to murder her. And there was something about this album that touched me and I listened to it over and over and I processed it. And ultimately I did not kill my mother and I'm so glad and it made me think about this because I know you have, you've researched, um, for instance, violence in video games. It's easy for adults to think you hear this music and you're going to do something terrible. You play this violent video game and you're going to become violent. And we think we see this in our house. Like my kid is all amped up and you ought to hear the things he's playing when his team loses on Fortnite the research doesn't prove any kind of a causative link there does it
2: that's yeah that's absolutely correct i mean you know of course, it's kind of i mean i, I like your example of alice cooper because i like i like some of his music But that guy sang about necrophilia i mean of course it's all a big joke you know it was all. he also went on the muppets which is sort of weird uh, as a combination but uh but he sang about all these like crazy you know things he still guillotines himself on stage and, and all kinds of other stuff i saw him a few years ago uh he's uh he's fantastic but then they see him today he's like golfs with those like checkered white and green pants and stuff it's like he's, he's like 100 years old you know he's like <laughs> you know nobody thinks that he's like you know the the, the you know porthole to you know the hell or anything uh, today, of course, this is, the average age of his audience is like 94. <laughs> I just, you know, so, uh, but that sort of points out like this generational nature of, of this stuff is that you know it's, it's it's something that old people worry about. and I'm, I'm increasingly becoming an old people too. You know, we tend to worry about whatever the new technology and new media is, and that creates this audience for an, a moral panic which newspapers and politicians and even scholars to some extent cater to. And then the audience dies, you know, that that basically, you know, the people that worried about Prince and Cindy Lauper and Alice Cooper and ACDC are dead, you know, so now it's people that grew up with that, that are now in power. Now we worry about smartphones and video games. To go back to your question. There, there's, there's no evidence to suggest that, you know, playing Call of Duty or, you know, Grand Theft Auto, even as a pre-17 adolescent male is associated with any form of violence. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, we all need to run out and get Grand Theft Auto 5 for our kids. You know, it's got, you know, content in there that's, you know, intended for adults to be sure. But, uh, but you can, you can make that decision on moral grounds that you just, you just don't feel comfortable. There's nothing wrong with making that decision, but it's not going to turn your kid into like a rapist or, or mass killer or something of that sort. There's just no evidence to to suggest that.
0: So that's along the lines of violence. Let's talk about how women are represented in Mm -hmm. video games and how, that may influence how our boys think about girls and women. Yeah, same
2: thing. Basically, there's not any evidence to suggest as much impact on um, uh, playing what we call sexualized games, you know, mm-hmm. um, on male attitudes towards women, or for that matter, female attitudes uh, towards women, or body image, or, or things like that. Games have gotten much better in general, too. Of that. I mean, you can still find your Grand Theft Auto fives and stuff, but a lot of games it, it became a real cultural thing to try to shift into having more positive representations of women uh or female characters of all sorts um in in video games. So you you can see like from 10 years ago there's been a pretty big uh shift in in terms of having at least a wider range uh, of representations. But you know, of course historically, you know, games this this is all blamed on Nintendo <laughs> for the most part by the way, uh who are not known for particularly sexualizing games, but you know, games going way back to the early nineties with the NES were marketed mainly towards boys, you know, mm-hmm. so they were, they were, you know, they were a toy, they were considered a toy at the time. Nobody thinks them as a toy now, but they're considered a toy and they had to decide, do you market it? on the boy side of the toy store or the girl side yeah. of the toy store, you know? So they decided to go with the boy side. That meant that market it had to market, all these games towards boys. And of course, what adolescent boys want more than anything is naked women. It's just they were catering to to that audience, you know, basically. And so they had a lot of highly sexualized female representations because that's what particularly adolescent boys like, you know, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of games. Uh, Eventually, more and more girls and women started playing. So the audience kind of broadened out. Games got more sophisticated. You know, there was this kind of advocacy push towards, you know, increasing things. Um, But uh, but yeah, if you look at studies of like, you know, whether they're correlational or experimental, we've done. One experimental study, it's done with women, and uh, we're doing one right now with with men. and And generally, what you find is that same thing is, is that our attitudes don't seem to be shaped very much by fictional media, um, at, at very least, or our behaviors don't seem to be. There's something about knowing that the thing is fictional, even as even as kids, um, that seems to limit its impact on how we perceive the quote unquote real world, you know, uh, around us. And that's something that's different from like news media or maybe even social media, which, you know, sometimes seems true-ish, you know, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. So what I hear you saying is that as a parent, what is going on in the real world, uh, the the non-digital world? And I don't even like making that distinction anymore because the digital world is part of a real world, but the human interactions that I am having with my child and the other interactions that my child are having with other humans, friends, uh, family members, people at school, that all matters more than what is in the game, what games he's playing. Mm -hmm. And if I want to foster good outcomes, I would probably be better off putting my energy towards those interactions with my kid than worrying too much about the gaming.
2: Absolutely. I mean, even even perhaps the more nihilistic version of this is to say that the biggest chunk of a child's behavior is genetic, which means that the biggest contribution you could have made was choosing a partner uh, who had good genes, <laughs> in essence.
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm banging my head um, against the microphone you know, right I mean, now, as, as our, I'm sure many of our listeners who are going, oh, I should have thought that through a little bit more.
2: How <laughs> much we can do about that, you know, at this point, for the most part, uh, hopefully we chose well, I know, and, uh, you know, I've, I've been happily married for almost 20 Years at this point, so I chose well. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, for you, oh, yeah. um, actually, you'd be surprised how like little impact parenting in general has on child development. And what, so what you what you want to do as parents is set up a generally warm, loving place where kids feel safe. That's kind of like the big thing you can do as parents. What uh, Other than that, whatever you do, it doesn't really matter. You can be a tiger mom. You can be a free range mom, whatever. I don't know. There's probably like dozens of these versions of, of like, you know, uh, best selling books that try to sell you on. You can pick one. It doesn't matter. You know, like sure. just, just don't abuse your kid. Don't neglect them. Make sure they feel loved. Feed them. You know if simple stuff for the most part um other than that you know most of the else, even like stuff like this contrary like spanking doesn't really seem to have much impact whether you do you don't you know these are all largely you know non-relevant factors uh to child's development what, but what happens is you know you have this you have the chance for 12 years to set, a, set up this generally safe warm loving environment that will help the will allow the child to grow maximally. And that goes for about 12 years. And then you lose almost all influence whatsoever at about the time puberty kicks in, uh, in which case peers become somewhat uh, more influential uh, at that point. So kids will tend to shift their sort of source of reference or safety even from parents. Uh, now you still want to have that safe environment, but you know now, now they're more interested in what their peers are doing. And you know it's kind of a period of maximum conformity um, if you will, as they they try to fit in and develop their social identities within their uh, within their peer group, uh, and that lasts through early early to mid twenties, and then you just become old people, you know, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> your brain starts to fall apart, and you know who knows what the hell you're going to do from one day to another. So,
0: <laughs> Chris, I think your next book needs to be just like you know simplifying parenting because you just kind of pretty much laid it out pretty simply and basically there. I'm still thinking about the listeners and as as we wrap up I'm thinking about the the moms cuz a lot of times it is the moms out there that are still on the other side of the bedroom door just longing to have some interaction with their son feeling sad feeling frustrated feeling angry about the prevalence of video games in their son's life and What, what can you offer them? I'm always about practical (laughs) strategies. What, how do they get their boy out of their room? And, you know, they may not have limited time, like you have said. And there, as women tend to do, we catastrophize into the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's going to be a failure, and he's going to be in his bedroom until he's 35. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we have this rolling picture of how how awful this is gonna be. Can you offer those mamas some hope?
2: Yes and no. So in the long term, yes. In the short term, no. (laughs) So if if it's mom's goal is to like get the kid out of the bedroom and like go hand in hand, you know, at the zoo looking at all the critters, that's not gonna happen. Uh, In fact, it's developmentally not appropriate. (laughs) Um, So give it a decade. I think it was the old cliche joke is, you know, when I was a teenager, I, you know, came to understand how uh, foolish and unintelligent my parents were. And then by the time I was in my mid-20s, I was surprised to find out how much they'd learned in the uh, intervening decades. What tends to happen, especially for boys um, and also for girls though, um, but they have a somewhat different trajectory, but um, boys more even than girls uh, tend to detach from their parents in the adolescent years. And that's kind of a developmentally normal period. So your kid not having any interest in spending time with you is normal. Uh, Mm It's sad. I get it. My wife has expressed some of this to me. Uh, so it's common, it's universal. Um, it is developmentally appropriate for your teenage son to not want to spend time with you. They might occasionally you know, condescend <laughs> to uh, spend a little bit of time, but you are, you know, I mean, you had I mean all moms and dads are an embarrassment to them uh, because they are trying to deny the fact they have parents at all uh, among their peer groups And that is how they establish what they're doing is, you know, particularly for males is trying to establish sort of their place in the dominance hierarchy among other same age males. Mm
1: -hmm. And,
2: you know, being in a child role um, is not helpful or conducive. You know,
1: I think about this, uh, maybe that part of my brain didn't fully die or maybe it's rejuvenated a little bit, but, you know, even when I'm like, okay, I just want a little bit of time, like uh, out of the month, I'm not talking, every day. Like, could we have like one day when we're all at home and maybe we spend time together? And then I remember when I was a teenager and obviously I am, I'm female, but when I was a teenager, it never crossed my mind to plan in time with my parents. Are you kidding me? Like I was thinking about my job. I was thinking about school. I was thinking about my friends. My family was nothing but an obstacle to me at that (laughs) point in my life. From my perspective, obviously now i can recognize that they were the scaffolding that allowed me to focus on all those other things right. but i didn't know that when i was a teenager
2: <laughs> yeah ab- absolutely They parents exist as as food dispensary mechanisms you know essentially what they're there for to. and know, a
0: ride them. every now and then <laughs> a ride if you can lure ride, your boy yes. into the car you might have a little conversation with, with food <laughs>
2: But but not a ride directly to anywhere where their peers might be. Yeah. They'd be dropped off like a block away or something like that. (laughs) Somehow they walked, you know, or, you know, I don't know, somehow got there by magic, you know, a transporter or something like that. Like out of Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, the one thing you can try to do is, is, you know, find out what the, youth is interested in and meet them there. So you can bribe them with like a horror movie and pizza sometimes, you know, if they're not mm-hmm. otherwise occupied, it will be a point where they're not otherwise occupied. So if they're just having a Saturday where, you know, they just didn't connect with their friends, that's the time to say, wait, hey, you're home anyway. You know, don't yeah. we get a pizza and we'll watch, you know, Friday the 13th or something of that sort or whatever, you know, Prometheus or whatever. And even if you're like blanching at every scene, because it's not your thing, that's what you have to do. Uh, in order to try to, you know, you have to meet them pretty much on their ground almost entirely, because they're not going to come to meet you on your ground, um, because it's just True. not an incentive structure to do that. But but developmentally, what seems to happen is somewhere by the mid-20s, then males, um, and females as well, but particularly males, then kind of come back to the family, but they do so sort of with a sense of having established their position with their peers, and mm-hmm. they oftentimes will sort of treat their parents, almost like friends at that point, you know, that the the parental relationship is still gone, you know, but now that they're basically, they say, like, now that we all understand that you have no power over me, (laughs) now we can hang out again, I'm no longer really embarrassed by you, uh, at least because I'm confident now, in my adult um, role. Now, you do see some, some males, um, which are the ones I think that, you know, probably the parents are most worried about, um, who are sort of like late bloomers I guess would be sort of like the the what happens you do you do find some guys who and this is, seems to be Uh, increasingly common for teenagers of both sexes, but you know, they're, it's it's funny because like 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, most scholars worried about teens having too much sex. Surprisingly scholars now worry about teens having not enough sex. You know, Mm -hmm. you can't win, you know, with this stuff, but I think it's an interesting sort of shift. Uh, But that, but that is true. Teens are having less and less sex. Even young adults are having less and less sex over time. And so you do find this cadre of males who are a little bit less socially competent. they're more socially awkward. They, you know, they they don't have as many friends. They're not good with girls uh, or boys if they're gay. They may not be that. They don't know what they're going to do with their lives. They're not that motivated for, towards college. They're not that motivated towards jobs or that kind of stuff. So yeah, they kind of just sit, sit in the, you know, in their ba- in their bedroom or basement or whatever, and they play video games. So that's fun. They just don't know what they're going to do. Um, and so for a lot of those guys, I'm not going to say this. Everything's always rosy, and you shouldn't worry about them at all. But a lot of these guys kind of in their like early to mid twenties, kind of like snap to. Uh, If you will. And they realize this is kind of lame. And so then they kind of start to build the platforming for um, other kinds of stuff. So don't lose hope. It's kind of, you know, again, don't ignore the problem and say, oh, well, it will just go away with time. But but also don't lose hope. There are this cadre of boys that, you know, they're not going to be the superstar high school athlete with lots of girls, you know, uh, or a good part-time job, they seem to, they, they will just seem to be unmotivated, unsure of themselves. But oftentimes they kind of like come together in their early to mid-20s. You know, again, it's maybe that's later than most of us would want, um, but usually things work out okay for them. They just take a little bit longer uh, to get there.
1: I think that's fair to point out that that has always existed As well. Uh, You're talking, and I hear my husband in that completely and totally. Now, he's old enough that like video games weren't a thing when he was a young teenager. So, trust me, he found plenty of other ways to occupy his time that weren't um, what most parents would consider a productive use of his time. Right. Right. And that lasted until about his mid 20s, at which point there was a part of him that was like, huh, Mm -hmm. not really going anywhere or doing anything. And, you know, in his fifties, he is a perfectly caring husband, father, contributing member of the society. His parents did so much hand wringing, you know, like so much, and he turned out to be an okay person. So what you said is so valuable, a reminder that yes, it's okay to worry. Yes. It's okay to uh, ask questions, seek help, get advice, but just don't lose hope.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there isn't like a magic bullet. I mean, I think it's a lot that happens with parents as they think of like, there must be some thing I'm not doing. Yes. You know, that somehow there's the other parents have this magic trick that they've done with their 17 year old boys or 18 year old boys or whatever and made them into superstar athletes and, and college students, you know, material materials, where my kids are sort of sitting in the base. What, what did I do that they didn't do? Oftentimes the answer is nothing. They, they, they just got a different set of genes than, than your yeah. kid did, you know, um, and there isn't, a, there. I can say, as a psychologist, there is no magic bullet, you know, that particularly if a person is in their mid teens to early twenties, you, another human being has almost no control over their behavior. There is nothing you can do uh, to force them, you know, other than like kick them out of the house, or which is kind of uh, extreme and not guaranteed to be very helpful. <laughs> Putting incentive structures in place by that point, they're pretty resistant to it. Embrace the helplessness to some extent and, you know, continue to provide that, you know, loving and warm encouragement as best you can. Um, you can maybe try putting a few things in place, like saying like, you know, well, once you hit 18, I'm not going to pay for your cell phone anymore. You need to get a job. If you want to have a cell phone. You, you can do some small stuff like that and, you know, yeah, be yeah. ready for some anger you know, to come, to come back <laughs> your way. But, but, uh, but in general, you know, you'd want to still you know, provide that warm environment with gentle encouragement for the person to, to, to move forward with their lives, but also for your own mental health, realize that the, the truth is that you don't have that much control over another human being who's an adult or or close to being an adult at that point you know okay
1: so I want uh just like Janet let's give people something to do okay so I'm a parent I am listening I'm like yeah okay Chris that all sounds really good but I'm worried about my kid and his gaming what step one step two and step three what should I do
2: yeah step one is to realize you're probably wrong um and the way to figure that out is to ask yourself seriously uh, why are you concerned are you concerned because the child's grades are slipping that they are not sleeping at least you know seven eight hours of uh, sleep a night they're not exercising at least half an hour to an hour a day uh, and they seem unhappy. Those are really the four things to look for. You know, are they okay. great sleeping? Are they not sleeping? Are they not exercising? And are, do they seem unhappy? Uh, if you say no to all four of those, there is no problem. It is not a diagnosable thing. The problem is with you, um, that you are simply not valuing, you know, what your child is choosing to do with their spare time, you know, which is again, sort of okay.
1: Now let's say there's yeses to some yes. of
2: those. So if you say yes to some of those, you know, first of it still might not be the video game that's causing the problem. Uh, they may have insomnia because they're stressed at school. And so while they're awake anyway, so they might as well play the video game, you know, that kind of stuff. So realize it still might not be the technology that's the root cause, but you shouldn't ignore it. So this is where, you know, sometimes technology overuse can be a red flag, you know, or a symptom of something that's going on. So what I've I've seen clinically is really like 90% of families fit into one situation, which is that, and, and it does tend to be boys, but it's not always, sometimes it's girls too. Uh, but a child is playing more, you know, video games yeah. than they should, and they're now, they are neglecting, usually it's homework, they're neglecting their homework. Mm-hmm. You worry about. Sometimes the parents are concerned about chores not getting done to. Um I don't hear as much about the sleep or, or friends or happiness. It's usually the homework or the, I uh, can I do, but it's, it's mostly the homework or chores. Um, in which case you could do that, what I was referring to before, the sort of rewarding low base okay. rate behaviors with high base rate behaviors. So basically say, you know, come and talk to the child or get a therapist involved Um, and sometimes kids will you know when they're in a more neutral environment they'll acknowledge something's a bigger problem than they would to just their parents Um, and you might just say work out. well how about we do this we do like an hour or you might work with a kid like how long can you concentrate you know at, at a given time period you know 20 minutes okay so you do 20 minutes of homework and then do a half an hour of video games and then set a timer, you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. do 20 minutes of homework and then half an hour of video games. You just keep that pattern going until the homework is done. You know, it depends on what any particular child, I say that because I kind of have ADD <laughs> issues, as you probably can tell from the way I talk. But. Um, you know so different kids are going to be able to concentrate for different lengths of time, so you has got to figure out what works in terms of rewards you know, re- rewarding what you want them to do with the behavior they want to do and just keep mm-hmm. that pattern uh mm-hmm. working for you. That clears up about 90% of cases, I would say. The other 10% are going to need you know, there's really something bigger going on, you know, they may be depressed. They may be anxious, they may be autism spectrum disordered individuals, so there's a bigger mental health issue that's happening. Uh, in which case, you know, th- then I would definitely, even in the 90%, you, you might want to seek, you know, professional help, but okay. definitely in that last 10%, if that's not working, um, then the seek, and I mean, what we usually would say is to look for a, a psychologist or psychiatrist who specializes in teens. Not one of these clinics that you Googled, because <laughs> they get the first hit. Uh, some of these places will charge you $30,000 a month for like inpatient treatment uh, that has no evidence that it works. Um, you know, so there's a lot of caveat emptor, you know, in that, in that facility. And so if you have insurance, you know, friends, you are going to get perfectly good treatment. You might have to shop around a little bit to find the right therapist, but you will get perfectly fine treatment. With your insurance plans coverage for a outpatient psychiatrist or psychologist um, to address whatever underlying issues um, that the child may be uh, experiencing, which is and it's probably gone well. I mean, near 100%, it's going to be that there's something else that's going on um, mm-hmm. that you may not be aware of. You know, mm-hmm. you may or may not be aware of, but they may be experiencing more significant mental health problems that they're not feeling comfortable expressing to you, which is very common. Um, doesn't mean you did anything wrong. They're teenagers. Um, and uh, and that might be the thing that is alerting you that they're stressed, they're depressed, something else is really major that's going on, and they're just using the video games or other technology like smartphones to entertain themselves or make themselves feel better from that. But, uh, um,
1: I hear so much hope here and I hope that our listeners do as well. I have a feeling that many of you like me are going to want to listen to this episode more than once because there's layers here. I mean, layer number one, parenting can be way simpler than we make it. (laughs) Uh, Teenagers are teenagers. That's just a thing. It's going to be a thing. We'll touch base again when they're in their twenties and video games are probably, probably not the problem trust your instincts, trust your connection with your kid, build your connection with your kid, but also let him go and do his thing when he needs to do his thing. Chris, I want to, I still point a lot of people to your book, Moral Combat. Um, What is the full name of it again?
2: Moral Combat, Why the War on Violent Video Games is Wrong.
1: And are there, are you working on another book? Are there other places where people can go if they want to learn more about you and your work?
2: Sure, uh, they uh, can uh, go to my website, which is just my name, it's not very original. It's www.christopherjferguson.com. Um, I have also recently written another book, uh, How Madness Shaped History, which is kind of what it just what it says on the box, ah. essentially, uh, intersection of psychology and and uh, and history, focusing on all the negative stuff, of course, all the you know, sort of really crazy people in history. And, uh, and I'm working on one now of the psychology, basically psychology of catastrophe and when, how, like when bad things happen, how human psychology tends to make them worse, uh, basically. So I have, I've, as you can see, I kind of have a negative bent. I yeah. You're
0: like... a perky guy, aren't you? <laughs> dark side, the dark side, Chris. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your wealth of knowledge around child development and video games in this case, but sounds like you have many other aspects that are quite interesting as well.
1: I'm going to put all of this in the show notes. I encourage anybody who has questions or comments to leave it on our website, hit us up on social media. We love to hear what your experiences are with gaming and parenting. And if you have any extra questions for Chris, let us know and we will see if we can get him to answer them for us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chris.
0: This
2: was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on today.
0: We hope you enjoyed this conversation about not only video games, but boy development, typical boy development. We know that boys can feel like a puzzle, like a mystery sometimes, and we have resources for you. Go to my website, boysalive.com, and opt in for my free guide, Boys and Big Emotions. Common mistakes parents make and what to do instead. And you also want to go to Jen's website, buildingboys.net, and subscribe to her Building Boys Bulletin. It is a wealth of resources, articles that she has curated. It's a quick way to really see what our boys are up against and how we can support them to be their best. Thanks for being an on boys listener. If you liked this podcast, tell a friend. Thank you.
2: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the o fish sandwich all day.